Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts this is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris, Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, got a great panel discussion with Dan Raphael, longtime boxing writer currently working for Ring Magazine and BoxingScene.com. Plus, Andreas Hale does a great job with Sporting News and DAZN.com. We talk about the upcoming pay-per-view this weekend featuring both Charlo brothers. Which one has more at stake? What do we think of the price tag on this fight? Plus, a little bit of a conversation about Matchroom's upcoming shows. And Jaime Munguia is coming back for his second fight this year. What do we make of Munguia in his new incarnation as a middleweight? A little bit later on, Jamal Charlo joins me. And I got to tell you, this conversation got a little bit tense, a little bit testy. Jamal didn't love some of the questions I was asking him, specifically about his relationship with his brother and uh, some of the fights he's turned down over the past year, but Jamal is going to get a good test this weekend against Sergey Derevchenko. We talk about that, so stick around for that and much more. All right, coming up next, my conversation with Dan Raphael and Andreas Hale. All right, joining me now on the show, two of my favorite people in boxing, Andreas Hale, the senior editor of DAZN News and Sporting News. And Dan Raphael, longtime ESPN boxing writer, Ring Magazine, and boxing scene contributor. The new season of his show, Stars and Champions, on the Impact Network, uh, returns next month. And both are kind enough to join me here on the podcast. Fellas, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Always a friend of the pod, Chris. <laughs> you're right. You're right about that. Um, all right, I want to jump right in. There's a bunch of stuff I want to get to with you guys. And we should start with the show this weekend which is a really interesting one uh, for a few different reasons. On Saturday, both the Charlo brothers will return uh, on a Showtime pay-per-view. Jamal Charlo will defend his version of the 160-pound title against Sergei Derevchenko, while Jermel Charlo will attempt to unify three 154-pound belts against Jason Rosario. So 
the Charlos guys are are interesting. They they have the kind of the the charisma to be stars, the talent to be stars, and now is kind of the time where they have to you know actually become stars. So Andreas, I'll start with you. Uh, which Charlo has more at stake in the show? It's an interesting question because the way I look at it is that which one has more to gain? And I think that's Jamal because I think Jamal has this loss. 154 is not a super crowded division with a widespread talent. 60 is more of the glamour division. I think against Derevchenko, he has a point to prove. Right? If you take Derevchenko out, you beat a guy who gave Triple G hell. You beat a guy who beat Daniel Jacobs hell. So I think Jamal has a lot more to gain in this situation. Jermel can't afford to lose this fight because I don't think Jason Rosario is somebody that really moves the needle. So I, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword here. I think Jamal has a lot more to gain. I think Jamel has a lot more to lose. Dan, what do you think? I, I agree 100% with what Andreas said. Uh, that doesn't happen often, I guess. But uh, no, I do agree with him. Um, Devonchenko was a higher-profile opponent um, because of the fact, as he said, he had a tremendous fight and a super close loss against Golovkin. And myself and many others uh, of us who are ringside for the fight between him and Triple G, uh, thought that Devonchenko deserved to have his hand raised that night. And, uh, you know, he's been on HBO. He's been on on Fox. He's been on different platforms. So he's been seen a lot more than Rosario. Rosario is coming up. I mean, he, he was on some lesser cards, um, on undercards and such. But his only real, you know, primetime, you know, mainstream sort of fight was when he won the titles against Julian uh, J-Rock Williams. That was a tremendous victory for him and an excellent performance. Went into Julian Williams' hometown in Philadelphia. I was there ringside for that, and the, the shock in that arena, seeing their hometown guy not only lose but get knocked out by somebody that they really had never heard of, I think was a, was a real shock to them and as well as many boxing fans. So he's not as well known. That's why, like Andrea said, it's, it's probable that Jamal, because of the caliber of his opponent, that he's still undefeated, that it's more of the glamour division, probably does have a little bit more to lose. But they don't, don't make any mistake about it. They both have a lot to lose. And I say that because a big part of this event for them, this pay-per-view, is it's not just one Charlo is fighting in a title fight, oh, by the way, the other guys. The entirety is mar- being marketed and put forth to the public as the Charlo event. You know, the, the hashtag Charlo doubleheader. They're, rarely do they even mention the two names of the opponents, who are quality opponents, but not as uh, name value recognized as the two brothers so um when one loses the other one sometimes will take a hit also reminds me a little bit of like the klitschko brothers you know when one would lose uh you know it reflected poorly on the other one as well yeah andreas i'm with you guys that jamal has the most at stake in this fight because his entire 160 pound career has been to me like a colossal waste of time like this is this is his sixth fight at 160, and I guess Korobov was kind of an interesting fight, but you know, last year was a complete wash with Brandon Adams and Dennis Hogan, and he's finally, you know, in, again in his sixth fight at middleweight, you know, stepping up in a major fight. I mean, even his title is not really a title; it was one that he was effectively gifted because Canelo took the 160-pound franchise championship. I think the question I have, and I'll put it to you, like. What does Derevchenko have left in this fight? Like because he's now fought two really tough fights in a row, a split decision loss to Daniel Jacobs and that brutal fight that he had against Gennady Golovkin. I mean, is that how much do you wonder if Derevchenko lost something in that Golovkin fight? I wonder it a lot because that was a hell of a fight. And I mean, mentally, when you lose two fights like that, it can't take a lot out of you. There's a lot of ego that goes into boxing. You know this. I mean, guys lose and 
they don't react the same when they fight somebody else. And let's be clear, Jamal Charles is a very beatable fighter. And Derevchenko throws a ton of punches. But the thing is, like Floyd Mayweather says, Derevchenko doesn't have a lot of special effects. He comes to fight. He's going to come straight at you. He's going to throw a lot of punches. And he's not going to be, you know, missed by a lot of punches. You can, he's there to be hit. So I think it's a lot that, that's mentally there. But I don't know how weather-worn he is. He's not a spring chicken. He only has a few fights on his docket. But he's been around for a while. So I'm a little curious when he heads into this fight. If he can't establish his presence early, take this control of the center of the ring, by the fourth or fifth round, mentally, does he start to wilt? And does that give Jamal that extra confidence that he needs to press on the accent? I mean, Jamal likes to counterpunch. He likes to sit and wait and lay traps. I'm not sure what Derevchenko has left. I think we're going to find out a lot. I'm very curious how this fight plays out. This is truly a toss-up fight for me. Yeah, Dan, um, you, you know, the – how effective Derevchenko was against Jacobs and against Golovkin. I mean, does Charlo offer anything different in a fight like this? I mean, how do you see the styles matching up? Well, I mean, I, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that Derevchenko's had those two tough fights, and uh, those were the more name-recognized fights that you mentioned uh, against uh, Daniel Jacobs and against Golovkin. But remember, before that, to, 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 to the, two, the fight he had in between those two fights was a fight with Turiano Johnson where he got the win and stopped him in like the 11th or 12th round. But that was a brutal fight also. So he's really had three toughies in a row. Um, whether that will reflect in the fight against Charlo, I'm not sure. But look, Charlo brings a lot to the table. He's very big for the weight class, even though he also had come up from 154 pounds where he had a pretty good title run, knocked out Julian Williams and, and beat Austin Trout, some other uh, quality guys. But the other thing about it is uh, he's very athletic. He, he throws punches. He's got good punching power. Uh, you know, I think it's a dogfight. I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, not going to be a whole bunch of sweet science. It's going to be them, you know, I'm not going to st- say they're going to just stand in the middle of the ring and slug it out with each other. Um, Devonchenko is capable of boxing, even though he seems to like to get in there. And the same thing goes for Charlotte. But I expect this to be, you know, uh, you know, a phone booth kind of fight where there's not a lot of dancing around, to be honest. And that's one of the reasons why I'm very interested to watch it, because I think it's going to be a very fan-friendly fight. Andres, what, what do you think of of Rosario's chances to win this fight. I mean, we talked about Derevchenko. We A lot of people know Derevchenko. He's a proven commodity. Uh, I, I would think that most kind of average boxing fans know Rosario is the guy that stopped J-Rock, but I'm not so sure they know too much about him prior to that. He sort of, in a way, popped up on the landscape and you know became this, this name in boxing as a result of that win. I mean, how dangerous a fight is this uh, for Jermel Charlo? It's a dangerous fight, but it's a strange one because Jason Rosario beat J-Rock was one of those things where you look at it as, was it J-Rock being completely washed up more so than is J, you know, Jason Rosario an elite talent? Look, I was at Samstown when, when Rosario got knocked out by Nathaniel Gallimore. And I looked at him then and I was like, this guy's not going to be too, anything special. So I'm a little curious as to how good is he really? And Jamel, he's a little bit more beatable than his brother. And I think this is a trap fight for him. It's a fight that I think he's supposed to win. But I think the odds makers have, I believe, Rosario was a plus 300. And I think that's a a, a betting favorite in in a lot of people's minds. I think it's a trap fight. He should win it, but it's a tough-ass fight. Dan, what do you think? I I would say I I understand what he's saying. I just don't like the terminology trap fight because when you're fighting uh, in a three-belt unification fight and the guy on the other side of the ring has got two of the belts – not to mention, for what it's worth, also the ring title, which will be dramatic by to many people of being number one in the whole division. Uh, that's not a trap. That's 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 top of the food chain stuff right there. That means a chance to unify 
and uh, not just not just two belts, but three belts and get the ring title. That, that's a lot of hardware you can walk out of the ring with. So, you know, I know uh, he's focused on I've talked to both brothers. They seem and I, I know them pretty well. They're intense to begin with. They're even more intense going into this fight. So I don't I don't look at it as, as a trap fight. But the thing about uh, uh, Rosario and I understand exactly what Andre is saying about how, um, you know, when Rosario lost that fight to Gallimore who's become something of a journeyman, but a good like uh, stepping stone type opponent in recent fights. The thing that needs to be understood about Rosario is that he never, until he fought Julian Williams going into that fight, never had a real training camp, never had, uh, you know, he took a lot of fights on short notice. He got with a, a trainer, Luis, who's really done uh, wonders with him. Um, he talks about how he has a full training camp now, you know, real conditioning, real sparring, real nutrition, uh, things that he did not have as a young fighter coming from the Dominican, the Dominican Republic where he grew up and just absolute the worst abject poverty you could imagine. And to, to get where he is, is really just a testament to his desire, his effort, his heart. And the fact that there was nothing else, it was either, you know, this was going to be how I'm going to make it out or I'm never going to make it out. And, and the fact that he could get into a real training camp and, uh, and uh, you know, I guess sneak up a little bit on, on Julian Williams, but uh, I have to say, I, I saw, that loss to Gallimore also. And I saw, you know, a couple of other Rosario fights. One thing about him um, is he's got good power. And maybe it's because I've known his promoter, Samson Lukowitz, for, you know, 20 plus years, I guess, going back to when Samson worked, you know, brought Manny Pacquiao over here from the Philippines. I mean, going back a long way. To me, Samson is one of the best guys in boxing as far as identifying talent, you know, unearthing that, that, that gem that no one ever heard of or ever saw who sees talent in guys. And, uh, I was like not that surprised that he'd be Julian Williams, to be honest. I'm not saying I picked him, but it didn't come as a total shock because I knew this is a, a, a guy with some ability, with the good people behind him that, understand, that know the business, that, that were taking their, their chance, and that he was in a real training camp for the first time in his career. Um, and he's matured at this point. You know, he's not an older fighter. He's only, I think, about 26 years old, so he's not, not an old fighter. Um, he may have come out of nowhere to most people. I have to say, although not picking him, I was not shocked by what happened, and I give him a good chance against Charlo just because he has got desire. You can't, you can't measure the person's heart and, he, and he's got good power. Well, it's good to hear that we think these are coin flip type fights. I mean, that's, that's what you want in boxing. Andreas, it's, it's funny. Like, there hasn't been a ton of promotion for this fight. And one of the talking points that have emerged in the last week is the cost of it, that it's on pay-per-view. It's become kind of a big storyline in boxing that this fight's going to cost... $75. I, I was a little bit perplexed by it because I didn't, I mean, it, it's it's maybe not the most pay-per-view worthy card in the world, but to get big fights happening nowadays, you have to put it on pay-per-view. What have you made of the reaction to this fight being on pay-per-view? I'm not surprised by the reaction. I was felt insulted at the $75 price point. The reason why, though, is uh, when you look at the UFC, the UFC gives you a bunch of free cards and then they give you a pay-per-view. So they build a cachet to say, oh, okay, well, I can pay for this and I feel comfortable for that because next week I'm going to get another free card on ESPN or whatever network. With boxing, we haven't necessarily had a bunch of great fights that would build up and give you reason to feel comfortable paying $75 for a really good card. This is a really, really stacked card. And it's one of the few times that I will ever say from top to bottom, this is actually better than the UFC card that's being put on at the same time that same night from top to bottom. It's a loaded card. But to ask people to pay $75 for two unproven pay-per-view stars is going to be a big ask. And I hate that because I think these two brothers have a lot to offer. 
They are they're great. They have great promotion. They have everything that you have to be stars, but I don't think they're quite there yet. And $75 in this climate is going to be a tough pull. I, I mean, I, I, I sort of agree with what he's saying. I take issue with just a couple of things there. Number one, the UFC puts on a pay-per-view every single month. They charge $65 or $70, and I never hear anybody complain. So boxing this year, this will only be the second pay-per-view the entire year. Now, granted, the pandemic had part to do with that. But UFC literally puts on a pay-per-view every single month, and they charge almost as much as this one is. So, And I don't hear any complaints about that. So to me, it's just the boxing fans, it's over the top, the, the complaints that I hear. It is a stacked card. I don't use that, that term lightly either because I've been, I've been uh, watching boxing a long time and seen a lot of terrible pay-per-view cards where I have no problem saying it's junk. This is, they're calling it a doubleheader. In essence, it's, it's one super. I, I actually had a conversation with some people involved. But I sort of disagreed with the way that they positioned it in the marketplace where they're calling it a doubleheader pay-per-view uh, you know, all for one price. In my mind, the way that better attract the fans is to say the same, by the way, the $75 price tag is the same as all the pay-per-views have been for the last several years anyway, except for a couple that have been even more like a Mayweather uh, McGregor or Mayweather packet. So but the way I would promote it is same regular price of, of the pay-per-views that we've had for years, but as, you know, a super size, you know, you go get the super size soda or coffee or whatever. This is the super size pay-per-view. It's not, three or four fights. It's six fights, all good fights, you know, uh, significant fights, all of them, and, and market it that way. So, you know, I'm not offended by it. There hasn't been a lot of pay-per-view. I understand that there's no fans there to buy tickets because of the fact that they don't allow any of the, any of the spectators into the arena at this point. And so if there's been one pay-per-view since February when Deontay Wilder had the rematch against Tyson Fury with a very lackluster undercard, I might add, and then you put this card on with – two bonafide main event caliber fights and four other fights that are, you know, we can talk about those too if you want, that are all legit. Um, I got no problem with it. I mean, I understand times are tough for a lot of us. Uh, you know, that's cool. But, you know, no one has a right to have free boxing. We get plenty of free boxing. Some is better than other. Um, but but to me, this is a card worth buying. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah but to, and Andreas, not to put words in your mouth, but I think I, I agree with you more than Dan here. Like the free boxing we get is dog shit. Like, that's just what it is. It just is. Like, you get, like, A-side versus Z-side a lot of times. Like, I, I think, I mean, I think I'd be more, and I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. Like, I'm a boxing fan. Like, I'll, I'll watch it. I, I agree with you both of you saying about the Charlos. But you, I can understand a boxing fan's frustration because nothing good is for free. UFC, at least, puts on good stuff for free at times. Uh, or on ESPN, uh, on cable TV. Boxing doesn't do that. Like the Fox that, shows. Not, that's the just Fox not shows, true, Chris. Well, the, recently, Dan, the Fox shows this summer were bad. They were bad. Okay, but it's not just about Fox shows. What about the fact that, you know, and I'm just off the top of my head, Victor uh, or uh, Jose Ramirez against Victor Postal. Really solid junior welterweight title bout, regular main event on ESPN. Nothing. That wasn't, you know, I'm not saying that's a pay per view, but that was a, a very interesting quality match between, you know, guys who are arguably, you know, in the top four or so of the weight class, five, top five of the weight class for two belts. I mean, for, you know, for two of the belts, uh, setting up an even bigger fight that also won't be on pay-per-view. Coming up in October, we have a fight that I think all three of us, even if we don't agree, I think would agree that it probably could easily have been a pay-per-view, and that's going to be a regular ESPN fight. And I don't have to say anything good about ESPN anymore because I don't work there. But the bottom line is they're doing Lomachenko versus Lopez, and it's a regular ESPN card. So that's that's a, a multi-million dollar fight that, that we are going to get for just the cost of your your cable or your, your – uh, you know, whatever service you watch. Um, 
And there have been several fights that are on their schedule that are solid. And Showtime has had pretty decent fights. They're not, you know, they don't all come out to be great, but on paper, a lot of them have been very good. Um, and the same for Fox. And yes, the biggest fights go on pay-per-view. This is one of them. Gervonta Davis and Santa Cruz coming up in October is another one. Obviously, they're going to join up and do the, the third fight, I guess, between Wilder and Fury later in the year, Spence and Garcia. But, you know, there are plenty of good, interesting fights that are also for free. It's not just UFC that puts on a solid fight. No, you're, you're right. There, the, the, the Ramirez fight was, was solid. Uh, even on ESPN+, Plus. Joe Smith versus Alvarez, solid. Like, there have been good ones. It's just I don't, I don't think there are enough like anticipated matchups that are on uh, free TV. And that's what I think you need more of. Andres, let me put a button on this to ask you, because you are in kind of the, both the combat sports world. Explain to this audience what Dana White's beef is with Steven Espinoza. Because Dana White, <laughs> Dana White is not just for this fight, is basically counter-programming Showtime for the rest of the year. Like, it, how, how deeply personal is this? I don't know how deeply personal it is. It's just that Dana wants to kill boxing. Like he has this, like as much as he says he loves boxing, he has this innate frustration that boxing doesn't put on the best shows and boxing doesn't do this and I do this. But like you have control of the marketplace. This is a completely different, you know, promotional aspect that Dana has where he has all the belts under his umbrella where boxing does not. And you're not helping the sport by counter-programming at every chance you get. And Steven is obviously a boisterous and loud individual on Twitter and Dana sees that and wants to go at him and wants to take him out. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, I love combat sports. And the fact that we have these two shows going on at the same time that are both worthy of, of my dollar, I'm going to watch them both. That's just the type of person I am. But people that don't have disposable income, don't do this to them. There's a free weekend the following week. Why just, why don't you, you have a whole island, Dana. Do this shit next week. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? I cannot understand for the life of me counter-programming why, why do this because – People that like to watch people get punched in the mouth want to be able to pay for it and don't want to have to flip back and forth between channels that they actually have to pay for. That's ridiculous. I'm yeah, still waiting for Dana's announcement for when he's going to have his boxing promotion company that he's been talking about for two years. Come on, man. That they're going to yeah, program it. I know there's audiences that overlap to some degree, but I don't think the overlap is that uh, tremendous. And, you know, and if you want to buy the UFC pay-per-view fights, it you also requires you to have the subscription to ESPN+, Plus, although you can get it for a – you know, a, I guess a more expensive price if you don't have ESPN Plus. Why they counter-program, though, you know, it's 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 annoying. But for somebody like myself, I couldn't care less because I have no intention of buying the UFC pay-per-view anyway. I don't – it's not that I, 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 I hate UFC or anything. I'm just not a huge fan, so I don't buy the pay-per-view. So, you know, I'm down with having boxing. The UFC at the same time is completely irrelevant to me. Couldn't care less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there definitely is an overlap. If there wasn't, you know, Canelo Alvarez wouldn't have been taking a nap last year while – you know, two guys were fighting for something called the baddest motherfucker belt on UFC. I mean, that's just like there. There's but enough of an overlap you know, that you know when Dana's going to make his boxing promotion announcement. I've been he's not. He's not. I mean, and by the way, let I me mean, say this about that: it's a lot, and I'm not saying it's easy to promote boxing or to promote MMA. But Dana has a distinct advantage. I, I, I know Dana a little bit. I get along with fine with Dana. I actually like Dana. Uh, we may not agree politically, but you know, he's an okay guy in my book. Here's the thing: it's a lot easier to do a big UFC event. When the house, meaning the company, basically keeps about 80% of the revenue and doles out 20% of the fighters, when the boxing model, this is something that fans just don't grasp. They just don't understand. It's the opposite in the boxing. It's basically like 20% of the promoters and 80% of the fighters. Maybe it's 70% in there. But generally speaking, in the boxing space, the vast majority of the money gets paid out to the fighters. In the UFC space, it's the opposite. Why do you think all the big-name UFC guys want to come to boxing 
to fight a boxer. You don't see any of the big name boxers saying, I want to go to UFC because they can make more money when they come over to the boxing space like Conor McGregor. did. Yeah, that's true. right. I, I will say one thing about counter programming because this is the challenge is because if I'm going to a bar to watch fight, and I don't know who is because of COVID, but I hate to see bars have to choose between UFC and boxing. I like to, them to say this weekend we have a UFC event because that's what pay-per-views are. They're supposed to be events. And those, those are where you have fight parties. We have a bunch of people who don't know shit about the sport show up and argue about it and have a good time. And that's what pay-per-views are for. But when you're counter-programming two events next to each other for no real reason other than cut the throat of the other, person, the other promoter, why? There's enough money here for everybody. There's enough people getting punched in the face where I can enjoy it Saturday, Sunday, and the following weekend. Stop doing this stuff. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, let's move on to another topic. Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, he has started to piece together his fall schedule. Last week, we learned that Dillian White will face Alexander Povetkin in a rematch in November. A few weeks before that, we will get the former undisputed Cruiserweight champion, Alexander Usyk, taking on Derek Chisora in what will be Usyk's second heavyweight fight. Uh, Andreas, I love Usyk Chisora. I, I think it's just the kind of heavyweight fight Usyk needs to kind of build his heavyweight resume. Uh, I favor Usyk in this one. Who do you like? I like Usyk as well, but uh, the reason why I love this fight is Derek Warchasaur didn't get that nickname for no reason. He's going to come to fight. All the cute stuff that Usyk could do with the cruiserweight division, Chisora is not going to, he's going to try not to allow those things to happen. I think we're going to get a hell of a fight. We're going to really find out what Usyk's made of a heavyweight. Yeah, no question. Dan, I, I, I love the promotion early for this fight too. The weird, creepy... Derek sounds that Usyk <laughs> is making in these, in these videos. Like, Derek, Derek, yeah. I'm coming for you. Like, he's starting to scare me a little bit. Derek is quite the character. He's been doing that for a number of years. You know, go back to when he fought against Klitschko. He did it, uh, you know, for any number of fights when he fought David Hay. The same sort of thing. And now Hay is his manager. And by the way, talking about the, you know, the, the pay-per-view, Usyk and Chisora is not a pay-per-view in America you know, most likely it's not done yet. We'll probably see it on the zone. But in the UK, you know, that's a pay-per-view. The Dillian White, Povetkin, both of the fights are pay-per-view fights. I mean, their their pay-per-views are a lot cheaper in the UK, but True. they have uh, much more of a reliance now on pay-per-view than they ever did. And, and those are matchroom events for the most part. But putting the, the economics of it aside, it's a good matchup. I mean, the fact is Usyk's had one heavyweight fight against Chaz Witherspoon. He's had a long layoff combination of injuries and the pandemic, just the Witherspoon fight that took place last year. And, uh, you know, has he seen that kind of puncher, that kind of guy with, uh, like, like Andrea said, just, you know, that war mentality that's going to come right to him. You know, I tend to favor Usyk. He's a superior technician. He really looks good at, as a heavyweight, you know, not, not too bulky, but big enough to hang. Um, going to be probably taller than Chisora or awfully close to it. Um, but a, a very good, interesting contrast of styles in that matchup. And, uh, you know, and it's dangerous for Usyk because he is, uh, as everybody who follows this knows, he, he doesn't have to fight this guy, and he's still guaranteed a shot at the WBO heavyweight belt, whether it's held by Joshua, Pulev if he wins, or whoever is around. The point is he's got a heavyweight championship fight, you know, in his future guaranteed by one of the sanctioning bodies, and he's not just putting it on the, on the line. He's putting it on the line against a guy – that can really make his life miserable that night. Andreas, do you, I mean, we've seen cruiserweights come up and make noise. Vander Holyfield, all-time great. David Hay won a belt when he jumped up. Do you see Usyk being cut out of that same cloth? Or, I mean, do you, do you, I guess the question is, 
is Usyk capable of beating one of the really big boys, whether it's Joshua, Fury, maybe Deontay Wilder? Is he able to do something like that? I do. I, I think he is cut from that cloth. I think technically he is uh, superior to a lot. Well, I mean, obviously he was superior in the cruiserweight division, but you look at this guy in the heavyweight mold, he may be a little bit smaller, but technically sound. And I think he can give a lot of those guys problems because, I mean, maybe not Tyson Fury, but I think he, there's hell to pay if anybody faces Usyk. I, well, again, we'll learn a lot against Usora. But I think physically speaking, technically sound, I think speed, I think his movement, I think he's got a pretty solid chin. Yeah, yeah. I think he might be cut from the event of Holyfield Club. Dan, what do you think? I tend to agree, uh, especially because ever since he turned professional after the gold medal victory in the Olympics uh, a few years ago, Usyk's entire career and mentality has been based on doing the things that he wanted to do, which was become the undisputed cruiserweight champion. His idol is Evander Holyfield. I've interviewed him about that, and I've interviewed Evander Holyfield about his thoughts about Usyk as well. And, you know, he gives him uh, a lot of respect and thinks that he can accomplish similar things to what Evander did. Uh, so when, when he when he became the undisputed cruiserweight champion, it was never, should I go to heavyweight? When am I going to go to heavyweight? His whole career from day one was dominate cruiserweight, become undisputed champ go to heavyweight, try to do the same thing and be undisputed heavyweight champ. So the mentality is there. The skills are there. Uh, the desire is there. Uh, you know, he's got a tremendous resume as a cruiserweight and not all cruiserweights can make it in the heavyweight division. Lots of them have failed, but I do think that if there's a guy that can have some success, it's definitely Alexander Usyk. I mean, this is a guy who has been one of the great amateurs of modern times. And I think, I don't think it's unreasonable to say at worst, the second best cruiserweight of all time behind Holyfield. I mean, am I missing somebody? I mean, David Hay had a good run at cruiserweight. But I don't. I think that Usyk probably was better than him a little bit. Um, but those are the guys. I mean, you know, Holyfield and Usyk and Hay. You know, the, the division is not that that uh, uh, tradition rich. It's only been around since the mid nineteen eighties or early eighties. But you know, he's been the best of the bunch, and he's got the resume to back it up as a professional, as an amateur. And and he looked. Listen, after coming off of, of a pretty bad injury with his biceps. The way they looked against Witherspoon, who's, uh, you know, maybe not a superstar by any stretch, but a competent heavyweight who'd never really been completely dominated like that. You know, he looked pretty good after that layoff. So I, I can't wait to see him back in and against uh, a higher level of opposition, which is Chisora, who, as I said before, can make any heavyweight's life miserable, even if he loses. And there's other, hey, one, one, yeah, one other thing, Chris, I was going to say the, the fact that Usyk being a heavyweight, his personality also is highly marketable. I think this is the perfect place for him. I mean, once he shows up a heavyweight, if he proves himself, I think a lot he's going to attract a lot of eyeballs. And that's the one thing. I mean, you've talked to him, Dan. I've talked to him, Chris. I'm sure you've talked to him. The guy's a tremendous personality, and he's a fun fighter. So I think we can get a lot of fun fights, and we can bring some more intrigue to the heavyweight division with Alexander Usyk in it. He's also popular, right? Like, I mean, the fight in Chicago, he did a good crowd. <laughs> there was a yeah. lot of people yeah. in Chicago. So, you know, maybe make that his home base. Also. That's why he's popular in the UK. That's where, you know, that's where the fight's going to take place. He had a, he, he gained a lot of fans. He did a big pay-per-view number, for example, when he fought Tony Bellew in his, what was his, his first fight uh, as the undisputed champion and the, the one defense of all the belts before he moved up. And uh, so he's got himself, you know, a bit of a following in the UK, uh, as well as with, like you said, the, the Ukrainian crowd and the Russian crowd that, that may show up to a fight in a place like Chicago where they have a lot of those folks there. Uh, he, can, he, can be a, he can be a very remarkable fighter. I agree. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's just real quick on another Matchroom-connected show because this is this has been confusing me for the better part of the last few months. 
Uh, Jojo Diaz, who won 130-pound belts off of Tevin Farmer earlier this year, uh, signed a contract to face Tevin Farmer in a rematch. It's the kind of thing you see often in boxing. I mean, Andy Ruiz signed a contract to do a rematch with Anthony Josh before that fight. It happens in boxing with optional uh, title defenses. He is insisting he doesn't want the Tevin Farmer fight. He wants to fight his mandatory uh, who is a Russian uh, Russian opponent. And then he tweeted out recently that he wants to unify the titles after that. Dan, w- what's going on with this? Because, I mean, uh, unless I'm wrong, you know, when you sign a contract for a rematch clause, it's pretty enforceable. Like, if you're Tevin Farmer and you're Lou DiBella, his promoter, you should have be on pretty firm legal ground in this situation, shouldn't you? Absolutely, and there's no question. If Joseph Diaz takes another fight besides a rematch with Tevin Farmer, the way I understand it from both camps, frankly, is that Tevin Farmer, I mean, uh, that uh, Joseph Diaz, you know, won't have that belt anymore. Um, I, I don't think that it's not that he won't. And I've talked to Joseph about this exact issue, both privately as well as, you know, in an interview for, you know, for some stories I have written. I don't think it's that he doesn't want to fight Farmer or is, is against fighting Farmer. It's that he wants to make sure that his money is right. And I think right now his biggest problem is that the money that's there for him in the rematch, as it outlined in the original agreement, is not his liking. And I'm going to tell you, he, he wants about wanting to fight the Russian mandatory. But the reality is his promoters have not offered him that fight to fight it in America. The only thing that's come forward to him is, I believe the number was about 280,000, and you can go fight him in Russia, which is Joseph Diaz is obviously has told me flat out, I'm not doing that. So they're going to have to figure that situation out. You know, the IBF is, going to, is a, an organization that doesn't really take a lot of grief. You know, if they order the mandatory, they order the mandatory. Um, but Tevin Farmer, by all accounts, has a, you know, a fairly ironclad agreement that says, you know, I gave you an optional chance to fight for my world title. You won. I exercised my rematch within the time frame outlined in the agreement. And, you know, we're up next. Obviously, the fight was delayed, uh, firstly, because the pandemic. Joseph also suffered a terrible cut in that fight that, that pushed it back a little bit. But um, Joseph tells me he's healthy. He's ready to go. He's, you know, been training. Uh, Tevin Farmer who I also spoke to not that long ago is, you know, anxious to have the fight also. So it seems to me that that's going to be the fight. Now, are they going to have to adjust the money maybe a little bit here or there? Uh, possibly. But, you know, I don't see why they shouldn't do that fight again. It was a good fight, even if it was a, a clear-cut win for Joseph Diaz. There's not a lot of other opponents at 130 that are available to him that are that big of a name. I don't think there's a unification fight presently available to Joseph Diaz anyway. So, do the farmer fight as you sign your name that you would contractually do. Get it over with. If you win, move on. If you lose, it's not like your career is over. And then and let's get the show on the road. Andreas, what do you make of that situation? Because, I mean, I actually kind of wouldn't mind seeing Tevin Farmer, Jojo Diaz, too. It wasn't a fight of the year, but it wasn't bad. And, you know, Jojo is such a volume-punching guy. He's often entertaining fights. I, I don't know why this isn't a home run you know, maybe you do goose the purse a little bit to Dan's point, but th- this should be a home run for the fall schedule. Yeah, it's a buyer's remorse. It's a guy looking at his contract saying, I need a little bit more money because it wasn't a fun fight for him, obviously, with the cut over his <laughs> eye. And it wasn't aesthetically <laughs> pleasing to have a fight with Tevin Farmer is a guy that you look at on paper. And if you're a casual fan, nothing jumps off the page at you. He doesn't have tremendous knockout power. He's a few losses on his docket. If you're Jojo Diaz, you want to raise your profile. So you want to fight somebody else. And even if it's a you know, a title defense and you get a highlight reel knockout, at least we can play that on social media. Tevin Farmer is not going to give you that. And it's, it's a hell of a fight for us to watch. But I'm not saying Jojo Diaz is scared of Tevin Farmer. I think he wants to be compensated a little bit more to get back in the ring with somebody that's not going to be aesthetically pleasing to him. 
it's not the fight that he necessarily wants. But yeah, you signed the contract, do it. I mean, he gave you the opportunity, pay it back, pay it forward. Like, as you said, I enjoyed the fight. A lot of fans enjoyed the fight. Maybe JoJo didn't enjoy the fight, but too bad. It's a rematch. Do it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree on that one. And maybe we'll end with a little bit extra money on, te- on JoJo's side, but uh, let's get that thing done. That's an easy fight to make before the end of the year uh, if you're Golden Boy. Um, all right, let's let me finish with Jaime Munguia, who is going to have his second fight this year, one of the few fighters that's going to fight at least twice in 2020. He made his debut at 160 back in January, stopped Spike O'Sullivan late. Now he's getting a bit of a step up in uh, Turiano Johnson. Uh, Dan, I... I Kind of go back and forth on Jaime Munguia. I'm impressed by the physical tools. At least I was at 154. But every time he's in with an opponent that can box a little, whether it's Dennis Hogan and even Spike O'Sullivan, uh, he doesn't look all that impressive. Uh, are you? What do you make of Munguia and his potential as a middleweight? Well, he has. There's definitely a lot of potential. I agree. He's been a little bit. Um, well, first of all, he's undefeated. So even whatever problems he's had against some of those guys that maybe like to move a little bit more, whether it's Hogan. Uh, I didn't really think he had problems with Spike O'Sullivan. I mean, I thought he dominated pretty well and scored a nice knockout, even that didn't come until round 11. Um, but he's undefeated, so he's been able to overcome whatever adversity he's been placed in front of in some of those fights where there's been guys that have been able to move a little bit. He's very strong, I think, both as a junior middleweight and as a middleweight. He's got the physical bulk. He's still only like 23 years old, so there's a lot to work with there. Um, but Toriano Johnson is not an easy opponent. I mean – he, he can brawl, look, just, we were talking about it earlier, go back and watch uh, him against uh, Sergey Devonchenko. That was a tough fight for both guys, and it was, you know, it was up for grabs. He got stopped in the 11th round or 12th round, but it was a, it was a darn good fight and a close fight. Um, this is, a, this is, a, this is it's, I'm not going to say it's the same sort of test that we're hoping we see uh, that Chisora gives to Usyk in the heavyweight division, but I think that Torino Johnson represents a very stern, legit, solid test to see where Jaime Mingia can go, at, go as a middleweight because um, Turiano Johnson, he's had injuries. He's had layoffs because of those injuries. He had one fight that fell out you know, at the weigh-in because his opponent, David Lemieux, didn't make the weight. So he's had those sorts of issues. Uh, but he's a good fighter. He was an Olympian uh, several years ago. And uh, it's just a, it's a good matchup. I'm glad to see that, you know, I'm not saying that their problems are over between Golden Boy and the zone, you know, going uh, – stemming from what's going on with Canelo Alvarez. But the fact that they were able to get this fight squared away and announced shows me that there's some movement that they were able to officially put this fight together and get it on. And uh, is it the biggest fight ever? Absolutely not. But do I think it's a good fight? It's a good, interesting fight. In my mind, it's going to be a good fight in the ring. Yeah, Andreas, I, I, I look at Munguia, and I almost throw out the world championship he won at 154. I look at him as a prospect like I, I think yes he's been a world champion and as a world champion at 54 he should have fought uh the top guys if you're a champion you should fight the top guys but at 160 where he doesn't have a belt i think you just build him up and, and treat him kind of like the raw prospect that he still kind of is and they're putting him in look this is a pretty reasonable fight i mean Turiano johnson as dan said good fight with derevinchenko he lost the fight against curtis stevens but that's only because he got caught with a big left hand in the final round of that fight he was winning comfortably on the scorecards in that fight um this is i think this is a real test for him a test that i think munguia could he might lose the fight like this absolutely when i looked at this final paper i was like this is a hell of a fight for munguia but we're going to learn a lot from we. I know we've been saying that a lot. We're going to learn a lot. But this is the type of fight. Munguia is 23 years old. 
he is very raw, but he has raw skills. He has raw power. There's a lot of rawness to him, and those edges need to be sharpened up. Toriano Johnson is going to be the guy who's going to find out, like, are you ready for this? Are you going to make that next step? And we got to see it. I think Mugia has a little bit more problems with boxers, and I think Toriano Johnson has that in him to give him a little of those problems, but I think there might be a dogfight in here as well. There's a lot of aspects of Mugia's game that we don't need to bring him along quickly. I think the time is on his side. There's no reason to rush him to a big title fight. There's no reason to rush him up the ladder and, and see him get hurt or get caught by somebody else. So this fight, I hate to say it, we're, we're just going to learn a lot. We're going to learn a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> I like it. When I, saw, when I saw the fight get made, I liked it a lot because I figure Mungia is going to have to take small incremental steps up in competition. And when the name Torreon Johnson is brought up, it's a little bit more than I expected, but it's actually pretty perfect. Dan, what do you think of the idea, like, I know it's somewhere in the Golden Boy offices, they're thinking of the potential of Munguia versus Canelo either next year or in 2022. I mean, what, what do you think of the idea of kind of just spoon-feeding Munguia, you know, kind of beatable opponents until you can get to the kind of Mexican-Mexican fight that, that we all know, you know, if, if Munguia stays undefeated and, and picks up knockouts along the way, regardless of what we think of the outcome of the fight, you know, Canelo versus Munguia would be like if he wants to fight in Mexico City. That's like a hundred thousand, you know, yeah. uh, person. That that's a mega fight in Mexico. What do you think of the idea of kind of just keep keep easing him into you know relatively winnable fights to protect him for that showdown? Well, I mean, at some point they're going to probably have to step him up because they might want to get him a title belt or something like that. And the fighter and his team are going to demand it. I think you know, you know, it's one thing for us to look at it from the outside, but inside their team, you know, they believe in themselves and they think that they can go all the way and they have every desire to take on the bigger and better names. Jaime McGee has been saying that, uh, you know, ever since he won the title at 154. I don't think it's fair to to completely discount the title run. Yes, he defeated you know a, a small fighter in, in Saddam Ali to win that belt. Um, but Ali got a, a bona fide win against Miguel Cotto, and it's not like he just fought one or two times in title defenses and then decided to go up to 160. I believe by my count, Munguia made six title defenses. Granted, they weren't against like the best opposition overall, but he still had to beat six guys to keep the belt. And uh, you know, as a younger fighter, outgrew the weight class and is now at 160. But I don't think we're going to see him get spoon fed, you know, time and again. I think that at some point he'll he'll step up, and if he can pass that test, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be there for a fight against Canelo Alvarez. That, that to me has been, I remember when Canelo did the deal with the zone in the first place and it was 11 fights and you're thinking, okay, who the heck is he going to fight over the course of 11 fights for these five years? You know, I, I was making a list of like, you know, not in order necessarily, but like, here are the guys and, you know, the Rocky Fielding fight happened. That was a set before they even did the deal. So that, that left him. Then you're figuring it's going to be Jacobs was certainly somebody who figured he would fight. A third fight with Golovkin was on that list and you can just go keep on going. You figured at some point he'd fight a light heavyweight fight. Maybe it wouldn't be Kovla, but somebody. Uh, from day one, I figured Munguia is on that list because he was always, you know, at some point going to move up. He wanted to move up to fight Golovkin uh, for the, uh, you know, at the middleweight division. But that fight was not approved by the commission in Nevada before Munguia, you know, was a known fighter before he had won the junior middleweight title. Um, so there's no question that that will be a fight that they will look to make at some point. And I agree with you if they did that in a place like Mexico City, in like Azteca Stadium, or if they went back to say a Cowboy Stadium with two, you know, uh, strong, um, exciting Mexican fighters, it would be a big deal. So yeah, no, there's no question if he keeps on winning, uh, even if he takes a loss, but he shows something in the loss and comes back, there's no question that he'll be there as an as a future opponent for for Canelo Alvarez. Who by, by the time they fight, Canelo will be like 32 ish, let's say he's 30 now. 
Munguia will only still be 25 years old. So at that point, maybe Canelo's on his way out and Munguia is still on the rise, you know, and it could be that changing of the guard sort of. Uh, Munguia's had a weird career, man. Like it's, it just seems like yesterday when Tom Loeffler was trying to ram him home as a Golovkin opponent and the Nevada Commission turned him down. Then he's winning a world championship and now he's kind of come full circle in a way where he's back to being a prospect once again. Uh, fellas, I appreciate the time. Andreas, Dan, thanks for joining me. Keep up the good work and uh, eventually I will see you out there on the road. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you, Andreas. It's been a while. Yeah, absolutely, man. When this pandemic ends, hopefully we can all grab a drink somewhere. <laughs> exactly. We're yes. three. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, my conversation with Jamal Charlo. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to Stan, the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jamal, I guess, let me start with this. At 160 pounds, this fight with Derevinchenko, do you view this as your stiffest test to date at 160? Um, if the fans like to say this is my stiffest test, then yes. Uh, I've had a lot of, you know, hard fights. Every fight is a hard fight, so I don't judge a fight, you know, you know, until you get in there and get done with it, yeah, you could you could figure out what was hard, make adjustments, or it was it hard to be fast and strong. But you know, it is what it is. His fights against Golovkin and Daniel Jacobs, good fights, lost them both by really close decisions. Watching those fights, were you impressed by Derevchenko? Were you less impressed by Golovkin and Jacobs? What were your takeaways? Um, I mean, he came in there and fought like. I'm, I've seen that, like, he made both fights interesting to the point where it looks like he's about, you know, 
on the verge of doing something uh, like beating him, you know. He, uh, Jacobs blew him out, but they had a lot of sparring matches prior to that. Uh, he's, from the, he's from the coast where GGG's from, so obviously he knew a lot about him. Um, I think he comes out with a lot more fire this fight uh, for the fact that he wants to win and, and, and runs right into what I want him to run into. But, you know, we'll let the game plan play out, and uh, I'll make my adjustments in the fight as it go. So it's been about three years since you moved up to 160. Tell me the difference between Jamal Charlo at 160 and the Jamal we saw at 154. Uh, it's a big difference, you know. I don't have to drain that little extra six pounds, which I would have to do it. I would have did what I had to do, but um, I'm a lot happier, you know. I'm a lot, I'm a lot, I'm a lot uh, more focused on on the fights now, necessarily uh, losing weight and you know straining my body. Are you more comfortable now as a 160 pounder after a couple of years than you were when you first made the jump? Yeah, I'm a lot more comfortable now. I'm a lot more comfortable knowing that like the body frames to these 160 pounders, I'm still a lot bigger than those guys. Uh, I'm stronger. I'm faster. I'll just have to, you know, continue to uh, use my gift. You know, my gift might be just that I'm a big guy, be able to get down to 160. You fought at junior middleweight. You fought some of the best in the division, whether it was K9 Bundridge to where you won your title, Austin Trout, Julian Williams. Uh, when you moved up to 160, did you think those big fights were going to come right away? I did, but you know, I learned a lot of a lot about myself, and I learned how much patience that I actually have. Um, so I'm not I'm not in a rush to uh, do something I've never done before, and that's. You know, just get in there and fight. But my patience have my patience have played a big part of me being a, the best one sixty pounder. What when did you realize in that early early stages that all right, maybe it's gonna be a while before I get Canelo, before I get Golovkin, those big fights that you obviously want? After being as mandatory for so long and then fighting someone that uh, Golovkin didn't want to get in the ring with and knocking him out and then, you know, uh just you know, just fighting the guys that that's my competition is just showing me that it's going to take some patience. It's going to take me to keep winning. And, um, hey, it, it comes with territory. Like, I wasn't supposed to fight Korobov, but I did. And got that fight out the way and more harder fights here to come. What do you think of what you've accomplished at 160 pounds? Um, I've, I just have to build. You know, I have to build at the moment. I have the hardware. So I know these fighters at this point, they have to fight me. Um, you know, I'm, I know I'm one of the best in the world, but I have to show it. So, I, right, my accomplishments don't really amount up to what I really have to look forward to. But, you know, it's, it's a fighting sport. It's a, it's, it's a fighting sport, you know. Uh, it even comes with making the fights. You lose some, you win some. But, you know, I'm, I'm learning on the road. I was watching that documentary that Showtime ran recently on you and your brother. You said that, Beast, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but you said that beating Derevinchenko would let the middleweight division know that you're here. Uh, other promoters might say, we know he's here. Oscar De La Hoya has said that Golden Boy made you an offer to fight Canelo. I mean, Eddie Hearn, we know how that went, said he offered you $7 million to fight Demetrius Andrade. How would you respond to all that, that promoters are saying, we know he's here, we've tried to get him to fight our guys? That's all crap. None of that's, none of that's legit. Um, if I was to be able to make, if, I, if they would make the fight happen, it would make sense, you know. Um, whatever numbers they gave my team, my team was like, is this a joke? Or, you know, what's up with this? Like, you know, 
it is what it is, you know. It is if 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 they make the right decisions, then we would be in the ring. Um, none of those guys have made no offer to me, have given me no real legitimate offer where it was something that I like had to force myself to do. Like it, they haven't put me in a position to be able to fight those guys. Like it, the, so, don't listen to the to the BS you hear it from my mouth. I would have been took those fights if that was the case. What did you find specifically illegitimate about the Andrade offer? Because, I mean, Eddie Hearn went out and kind of showed the emails that he was sending to you saying, here's the offer on the table. First off, he, first off, he wasn't sending me those emails. He was sending them to someone else. And and when I got a load of, like, oh, dang, he really was interested in making that offer, that, that to be honest with you, a unification fight with, with, with uh, Andrade looks great. Um, but to do it for your network is going to cost a little bit more than that. You can't pay me what I'm making now and be like, hey, they're going to fight for both of the belts. Like, this is a big fight for me. Like, you know, it's something pay-per-view worthy of. Like, you know, uh, he wants to cross-contaminate business, and that's, that's like, you know, something my trainer and, and my team and the people that, that's around me wasn't, wasn't with. So... Hey, it didn't make sense. If it don't make sense, then we're not going to roll with it. Like, you got to understand, it's boxing. You get, you know, an opportunity to be at the top of your level at, at the, the peak of the game for so long. And the, it, the, the offer didn't make sense. Um, and and I'm pretty sure, it, you know, my team would have took the offer if it made sense. Oh, I, I get it. The business of boxing is is tough. But, man, I, I love that fight. You and Andre, two undefeated champions, that would have been as good a fight as I hope it still happens down the line, Jamal. I hope yeah, some one point day it's gonna happen. Like sooner or later, sooner or later, shit happen. You know, sooner or later they make the offers, they make the money right. We're gonna get in there and fight, like regardless. You're obviously excited about fighting on pay per view, uh, which is where all the big stars fight at some point in their careers. Pay per view is also a risk. You're you're betting on yourself in some ways. Is that how you look at it? Are you and your brother? betting on yourselves that the audience will be there to watch two guys that are your level fight? Me and my twin brother will be locked in, tunnel vision. We're going out there and um, try to destroy our opponents. And you guys just get a chance to look at it. If you want to see me and my twin brother be the best that we can be, order the fight on Showtime pay-per-view and, and keep it locked. Like, uh, we got pretty more, a lot more fights to go. Um, so... For the people who don't get a chance to watch us, you'll be able to watch us soon. Uh, but this one right here is going down in history. You and your brother have fought on shows be together before. You're often, if not always, at each other's fights. When there isn't a fight, though, an event, how much time do you two spend together? Uh, we always spend a lot of time together. Me and my brother uh, talk every day. Um, it's my twin brother. I mean, um, you talk to your brother, your sister, your family is the same. It's the same feeling. But we just get a chance to fight on the same night. You know, you're both extremely competitive guys. You're both starting to accomplish a lot in your boxing career. Has that competitiveness where people maybe are going to start to compare you two against each other, has that had any impact on your relationship? Nah, man. We, we, we solid, man. It's solid. Like, it's solid. You asking a lot of questions that's like, uh, irrelevant to September 26th. You just got to know September 26th, I'm coming to fight Sergey, and I'm going to give it the best I got. And I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be on my A game and uh, all the other uh, uh, criticizing and critics, uh, they, they, they can get it after the fight, you know? No, I, I think everybody wants to see you fight Sergey. And you said in that documentary that you want to be one of the greats of all time. You're, you just turned 30 recently. 
Do you feel like you're right, on I'm that no path? Rush. I'm in no rush to beat it. I'm in no rush to beat one of the greats. I'm am one of the greats. I consider myself being one of the greats of my division. Uh, you look at you can look at what the name way. Um, I've been boxing. I've been doing this. So uh, I don't know where you've been all my career. But if you haven't noticed that everyone who does say what they want to say and talk what they want to talk, I knock them out. I got 30 fights, 22 knockouts. I'm not worried about what they think about me. I never cared about what they thought about me. I don't know where you've been. You asking me questions that that's irrelevant to what I got going on in front of me. Me and my twin brother are great. We in great spirits. We see each other every day. Uh, we eating great. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know if you work for the zone or you work who you work for, but you asking me some bullshit and I'm about to get off this interview. No, I'm, I'm, I think you're a great fighter. I've been to many All of right, your... So ask me questions about me being a great fighter if you want to continue to talk to me because that's what... you're, talking about, you're talking about the zone offering me money. You're talking about some shit you don't even know. You, you don't even got real proof. You're just saying what you hear on the internet. Well, ask me about me and you're going to get the information that I'm going to give you. I'm asking. That's I was getting through that question. I was, I was asking if at 30 years old, do you feel like you're you're on that old, path? I feel good. I'm the best. If you ever been 30 before, I feel good. I'm 30 years old. I'm great. I feel strong. I'm gonna beat the shit out of whoever they put in front of me. Okay. Last question for you. That it, as as you hit this point in your career, looking at those big fights, do you have goals as far as what you want to accomplish? Whether you want to be a multi another another you division champion, locked. you keep it locked. I'll put your ass in the passenger seat with me and I'm going to take you around and you'll be able to see how, how, how thrilled I am to have the biggest fights and the best fights. If you rocking with me, you is. If you're not, you don't know. It don't matter. I don't care. I'm with it. I'm going to fight. I'm a fighter. This is what it is. What, what do you hope this fight's a springboard to then? Whatever you hope is springboard to. Whatever you want to see me do. Well, you want to see me be great. You want to see me win. You want to see uh, me and the Charlo, uh, my, my twin brother, be the best Charlos we could ever be. Well, you get in the passenger seat. You ride with me and just and just ride. Don't keep asking where we going. No, I, I'm asking because we you, headed you want up the these hill, things. bro. We headed up I, the hill. We want to be the best we can be. So we headed up the hill. We, we going far. If they want to fight us, they'll fight us. If they don't, then we gone. I'm just saying, do you think those big fights are there for you? Do you think that Canelo's there for you? Golovkin's there for you? The fights that you, you must called out for? You must not watch boxing. <laughs> All right, do. then what you think? What the, yeah, they there for me. All I got to do is fight. I got to continue to fight, win, and I'm be the best I can be. I don't know what you asking me. What you want me to say? No, they're not there for me. What you want me to give you? They there for me. Dub, you know boxing. You know it. If you don't, you're going to ask questions like this. No, I think you're a great fighter. And I like, know that. Get, I know that already. I'm, I'm, but I'm telling you, 30, I think you are. With 22 knockouts, but I don't want to fight this. I, man, what, do, what don't you know about me? What do you want to give out to your fans? This interview is for you, not me. What do you want to give out to your fans? Tell your fans to watch my fight September 26th on Showtime pay-per-view. Order it. I'm, all, I'm going to tell the people listening to watch this fight, the people I'm writing for to watch this fight. I want to see this fight. I think it's the best fight of your middleweight career at this point. I'm just wondering if you, how much thought you've given to how tough it is to make fights at 160 at this point. So as you can see there, the conversation uh, ended kind of abruptly. Happens sometimes when you're uh, doing interviews like this. Uh, look, I think Jamal Charlo has a ton of star power. I think he can be a standard bearer for American boxing. But I've said this time and time again. You are not what your talent says you are. You are not what your bank account says you are. In boxing, you are what your resume says you are. 
I've said this countless times, Manny Pacquiao became Manny Pacquiao because he fought Miguel Cotto and Ricky Hatton and Antonio Margarito. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, you know, received some criticism later in his career, but coming up the ranks, you know, fought Diego Corrales, fought Jose Luis Castillo, fought Gennaro Hernandez. You've got to take tough fights if you want to be respected in the sport. And uh, too often, fighters don't seek out those tough fights, even if they do come with a uh, big financial reward. But Jamal Charles is going to get an opportunity. Sergey Dervinchenko is a very good fight, a very tough test, and hopefully it leads to bigger fights for Charlo uh, if he wins down the line. Uh, as always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we keep doing this podcast week after week. All right, we'll see you next week. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.